Hi, I'm David Warner not playing a villain for once in his career, Taylor. And I'm breaking into Jeff Bezos' house to teach him about the true spirit of Christmas, Jemmy. And this is The Final Girl Files. This week, we got into the Christmas spirit, the holiday spirit, as it were. Get it? Spirit, because it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Get it? It's ghost, get it, Taylor? guys. Taylor, do you get it? I get it. <laughs> uh, we watched 1984's A Christmas Carol, directed by Clive Donner, starring George C. Scott, Roger Rees, David Warner, Susanna York, Edward Woodward, Angela Pleasance, Michael Carter, and Anthony Walkers, and naturally, of course, based on the novel by Charles Dickens. This is the best version of A Christmas Carol, and if you disagree with me, I invite you to meet me outside of local Burger King in my neighborhood and fight me about it, like really, on God. Oh my god, we're gonna get so many Muppets Christmas Carol people. I don't care! In your, in your Burger Christmas King parking Carol. lot. Muppets Christmas Carol is great. It's not this movie. It's not, and it never will be. Sorry. Controversially, you're right and you should say it. Here's the thing. I guess we should just get right into experiences with this movie. This is like my Muppets Christmas Carol. Like, I think everyone who celebrates Christmas probably has a version of this story that they return to every year around this time. And for a lot of people, it's the Muppets. Some people do, like, the... You and I grew up with the Mickey one, right? Yeah, that's... If if I had to pick one that is, like, my Christmas carol, I would say that it would be the Mickey Mouse one. Mm-hmm. But objectively, this is the best version of the of the book. Right. This is the one that, like, I mostly grew up with. I watched the Mickey one when I was, like, really little. And then I think whenever my parents decided, because I don't remember the first time I watched this adaptation. Like, I've just seen it so many times and we watch it every year on Christmas Eve. Um, But whenever my parents decided, I guess that Jamie was old enough to watch this movie, we started watching it instead of Mickey and I think that's why I'm like this, because this yeah. version of A Christmas Carol is very um, horror adjacent. This is a horror movie. Hot, Another hot take. This is this is a horror movie. I'm just going to put it out there. The Robert Zemeckis Christmas Carol wants what this one has so fucking bad. Okay. Like, all, all I could think about. And listen, okay. So I saw the Robert Zemeckis Christmas Carol in theaters in 2006. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I remember being scared shitless by it. This was ten times scarier than that. I have only seen the Robert Zemeckis Christmas Carol once, so I only have very vague memories of it, but I do know that it did go pretty dark, but, like, it went a little too hard in in a certain direction. To my knowledge, again, I don't remember it too much, but, like, this one does it perfectly. This is a Christmas ghost story, and it is so good. <laughs> this is This is a perfect Christmas Carol. This is the Christmas Carol. And, like... I I saw a lot of people on Letterboxd saying, like, this is a bad movie. And I was like, all my love, but you're wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to just, like, drop another hot take. That is objectively a wrong opinion. Like, you're entitled to it, but objectively, it's wrong. So the first time I ever saw this movie was last year. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so funny, considering that it's just, like, my traditional Christmas movie every single year since I was like, I don't know, eight years old. <laughs> yeah, I watched this for the first time last year because um, I think two years ago or three years ago, God, I don't even know. I took a class where we talked about A Christmas Carol, the book, but we didn't watch any of the adaptations. What we watched was It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that makes sense. And we compared and contrasted and talked about, like, you know, the time periods and, like, the economic situations of the 1940s versus the 18-whatevers when this was published and all that other jazz and how these are, like, I mean, not to get into that whole class discussion, but It's a Wonderful Life is basically just opposite Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Can I just say I'm extremely jealous that you had this class because that sounds so fascinating. It was very, it was very good because like Christmas Carol is all about a guy who has to be visited by supernatural forces to learn that he's an asshole and needs to change. Versus It's a Wonderful Life, which is about a guy who needs to learn that he is actually a really great person despite the fact that he thinks the world would be better off without him. Mm-hmm. And they're just completely diametrically opposite stories. And yet they both make me sob like a little bitch at the end. Yep. <laughs> Actually, speaking of movies that we watch every Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life is my yearly family Christmas watch. I couldn't watch A Wonderful Life around my parents because, like, I just, 
I I can't like sit there and just ball at the end. <laughs> I ball like a little baby every single year. I've seen this for maybe 10 years plus every single year. And every year it makes me cry. But we're not talking about It's a Wonderful Life today. We're talking mm-hmm. about A Christmas Carol. Specifically the best version of A Christmas Carol. I think we just need to say what needs to be said at the top. George C. Scott is Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, so in a lot of the negative reviews on Letterboxd, I saw people saying like, He's bad in this. And I was like, what fucking movie were you watching? Again, I respect your opinion as the opinion of another person, but objectively, that's wrong. I'm sorry, that's wrong. George Scott is the best Scrooge because, and I have like reasons for this. Oh, I also have reasons. So please. Because even when he's in like asshole mode at the beginning of the movie- you can tell that he has the capacity for change in him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, I've seen other versions of A Christmas Carol where the actors go really hard on the bah humbug part of Scrooge. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, this guy's just a piece of shit. And then at the end, when he's, like, jumping around and being like, yippee, I'm nice now. You're like, but it it, it never feels earned. Mm-hmm. because the actor went so hard on the bah humbug thing because that's what everyone knows about Scrooge. Yeah, and like, admittedly, I can see why an actor would go so hard on the bah humbug stuff because that would ju- that just feels like the more fun part of the playing the character. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, 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 I don't blame an actor for reveling in that, but like, you have to be able to look at this guy from the beginning and understand that this is not a dude who at his core, is a piece of shit. No, you're right. One of my favorite things about George C. Scott's performance, and I made a note of this, is that he, again, even at the beginning, he has, like, the perfect amount of dry wit to kind of endear himself to the audience. Because, like, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to hate Scrooge, but I think uh, George C. Scott's performance makes you, like, love to hate him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You You kind of are reveling with him in how much this guy is kind of an asshole. I also enjoy when he delivers, I forget what the exact line was because I didn't write it down, but, um, oh no, it's the bit at the beginning where he says to Fred, um, I think that anybody who goes around with Merry Christmas on his lips should be uh, boiled in his own pudding and buried through with a stake of holly through his heart. And mm-hmm. he like starts giggling at his own joke. Yes. I just love that part so much because it's just like he thinks he's hilarious. Oh, he does. There's also that bit in um oh, I don't know what they call it. It's like the place where all the rich people gather to like the stock exchange, that's it. And oh, those... with, with the with the dudes who are trying to buy the corn from him? No, there's no but like after I'm talking about when those two guys who are like collecting for charity come up to him and like mm-hmm. the first ex- the first like exchange between them is just like Ebenezer Scrooge, I presume. Indeed, you do. And it's just like this quick little joke that goes by, but it's, it got me so bad when I watched this. Like, it's, he's funny. Like, yeah, he's a funny asshole. really funny. <laughs> and I think that really helps to, like, make him a character that you want to follow through the rest of the story and that you are kind of, in a way, endeared to. You look at this guy and you're like, you would be so fun to hang out with if you were just nice. If you were a nicer person and not like a piece of shit rich guy, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I just love George C. Scott as as Scrooge. And he's just, oh, every, like, and I just love too, like, the little bits of emotion that he brings to the Mm. role. Like, you know, again, this is another thing that I see in a lot of Scrooge performances where like they just kind of watch the um the visions that the spirits present to him like kind of blankly mhm but george c scott like is actually like from the beginning emotionally impacted by what he sees yeah he's engaged i'm thinking definitely like of the scene where we see like not like babby scrooge but like teenage scrooge and his sister um, and they come out of the boarding school and uh, Scrooge's father is there. And in the background, you can see present Scrooge just like fucking scrutinizing this guy. You can like feel how much Scrooge fucking hates his dad just radiating off of him. 
I also it's so love good. The, the like bits of expansion that the that the writers add to the story, because all the stuff with his dad is kind of extrapolated from one line in the original book, where Scrooge is like, "Yeah, my dad wasn't really very nice." Mm-hmm. But you don't really get any information on his dad apart from that, or his relationship with his dad. But this movie extrapolates a whole through line where you get this like whole thing about how um his mother died in childbirth um giving birth to him and his dad has always really resented him for that and favored his older sister which makes it really interesting later on when you learn that his sister died giving birth to fred which is why Scrooge kind of puts that wall up between himself and Fred, not just because he's an asshole, but because seeing Fred alive reminds him so much that his sister lost her life giving birth to him. And yeah, and it it is this really good moment where Scrooge kind of realizes like, fuck, I'm becoming my dad. Exactly. I'm doing the exact same shit that my dad did to me to Fred, who, like me, didn't do shit other than be born and doesn't deserve that. And I just, oh my god, it adds so much interesting dimension to his character where he realizes that, that like, I'm becoming my dad and I don't want to be. Exactly. I hate my dad. He sucked. <laughs> Can I just say, his dad bringing, like, and I, I hate to bring up the fucking wizard turf books, but, like, bringing big Lucius Malfoy energy big to the Lucius screen. Big Lucius Malfoy energy, for sure. Also, fun fact about the guy who plays, I guess, like, teenage, early 20s, young adult Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Um, His name is Mark Strickson. Do you know what this man's most famous role is? Please, Taylor, I have a feeling you're about to tell me. He played um the fifth Doctor's, one, one of three companions to the fifth doctor uh in classic doctor who and the first time that i saw this movie last year mm-hmm. he showed up in this movie and i was like that's that's fucking turlow from doctor who oh my god i had this moment of like fuck like it's so weird to see him not in a 60s school uniform <laughs> There's a lot of there's a uh, quite a few actors in this movie that are from other things that we have seen. Yeah, this uh, movie is really just a cavalcade of '80s British character actors, which is and really also funny. George C. Scott, who I don't think is British, he's not, is he? I don't know. I don't think he is. I just think it's really funny because you know this is one of those movies that like I again I grew up with this movie. I've seen this movie every year since I was a little baby child. And it's only like recently that I've been watching other things that these actors have been in, and it's, 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 a, it's an experience. It's quite oh, an experience. You know, for you, it wasn't so much like, uh, oh, this guy is from Doctor Who. It's oh, the guy from Waxwork is uh, is Bob Cratchit. <laughs> I I have no words for that one. I just I didn't even recognize him when I saw Waxwork. So it's just. Oh. You know, one greatest movie we'll do, ever made. We'll do work, work on way. this podcast, and it's going to be the, our best episode. Maybe it will be our best episode since Van Helsing. I was going to say it, it'll be our second best episode because Waxwork is a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. I hope all of you can detect the sarcasm in my voice when I say that. It's a great movie. Waxwork is a great movie. It's but... a great movie. <laughs> But David Warner is, like, in a lot of stuff, and he, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, is usually playing villains. And Um, here he's playing Bob Cratchit. (laughs) Yeah, he's playing just the nicest, sweetest man in this movie, and it's so strange watching him in this role when you know him from shit like, I don't know, Time After Time, maybe, where he just is playing literal, actual Jack the Ripper. Huh. Time After Time is another movie we need to cover because it's great. And it has also Malcolm McDowell in it for some reason. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm also putting that on the list. Um, <laughs> but I'm used to seeing him play, like, Scrooge characters. <laughs> and so here he is. odd seeing him just being the most wholesome. Here he is playing Scrooge's foil. He's just such a good dad. <laughs> Every scene with his family is just so good. Can I bring up... Like, I just want to pivot really quick. I didn't know until, like, again, as I've said numerous times, I've seen this movie a lot. I didn't know until maybe a few years ago that this was a TV movie. And, like, now that I know, I can look at it and be like, yeah, I guess I can kind of see it. But, like, this movie looks really good. No, yeah, if you had told me that this was a theatrical release, I would have 
completely believed you. I think it was released theatrically in the UK. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, maybe a couple other countries in like Europe or something. But yeah, in the US, this was relegated to television. And that makes me sad because I think it deserved to be in theaters because it's so good. And it's the best version of A Christmas Carol. I agree. Like it it looks like a theatrically released movie. Like it looks better than uh, some modern period pieces, I would go so far as to say. The costumes are phenomenal. Oh my God, they're so good. I also love the subtle differences and like this is me getting in on my like weird soapbox about like fashion history, which is like one of my weird niche autistic special interests. But like No, please. So a lot of versions of a Christmas carol don't bother to differentiate within the costuming between the different time periods because we do go, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 40 years into the past or whatever. Right. At one point. And when we see um Fezziwig's ball that he has for Christmas, mm-hmm. where we see young Scrooge and uh, Isabel or Belle, different versions call her different things, um, his ex-girlfriend, um, <laughs> everyone at that party is wearing Regency clothes. Yes. With, like, the Empire waists, the women specifically, you can definitely see, like, the Empire waists, the, like, the hair is different. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, Belle's dress is very Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, like, like they make an effort to differentiate them from the way that people are dressed in the quote-unquote present day sections of the movie, which is really interesting because that's not something that a lot of people would pick up on because I guess most people would just be like, 1800s, it's all the same. Yeah. But that is just something that I like, that I like noted and I was like, that's a really good piece of attention to detail is that like, you know, people didn't dress exactly the same for a hundred years. Right. Of course. So like, I don't know, taking into account different decades and the fashions of different decades is just one small way that this movie really just like puts itself above other versions. The only other version that I know of that does this actually is Muppets Christmas Carol to my knowledge. Again, I actually, and I'm going to get crucified for this, but I've never actually seen Muppets Christmas Carol all the way through. But I have seen several posts on uh, Tumblr.hell that de- uh, detail the costuming in Muppets Christmas Carol and how it does a very similar thing to this one. So good on the directors and costume designers of A Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, and this Christmas Carol. <laughs> and this Christmas Carol, which is better. Um, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> so Taylor, since this is a horror podcast, should we talk about how fucking scary parts of this movie are? Jemmy, this movie is terrifying. <laughs> I you think saw this pop up on your on your feed, and you were like, "Why the fuck is this horror podcast talking about a Christmas Carol?" Let me talk <laughs> about the scene where Jacob Marley visits Scrooge because fuck, that is the scariest shit. Okay, let's start from the fucking beginning of this. Okay. Let's just go from the very fucking beginning. Of this scene or of this movie? Of the scene. This entire It's not a scene so much as it is like a sequence. Because it starts with Scrooge like walking home from his... Oh uh, my from God. the counting house. Oh my god, it's so scary. <laughs> and the first thing that happens... Again, seeing this on screen, having only seen... Um, Mickey Christmas Carol, where this whole bit is kind of played for laughs, but also like a little bit like comically spooky. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like spooky, but it's it's about as spooky as like a Mickey cartoon can get. You know, exactly. It's not trying to scare you. And even then, even when I saw this scene play out in the Mickey Christmas Carol, like there was a little bell ring in the back of my head. Like this could be scarier. Yeah. This could be like this. I I I. I my little baby child brain recognized the potential for spooky, for like scary. And then this movie fucking delivered on that spooky and potential. Seeing this play out again, I think it altered my brain chemistry, and that's why I'm like this now. But that's we the thing, see, like, I cannot even imagine this having been a part of my childhood because I feel like I am like pretty spooky. But like, I would be so different if I had seen this movie at a very young age. Oh, I was fascinated. This fucking fascinated me. I wasn't even like, it scared me in the way, like, you know when you're a little kid and you're scared, but like, you kind of like it? Yeah. That's how I felt about this whole sequence with Jacob Marley and then later on with the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Yeah. Like, okay. The fucking ghost hearse that drives by Scrooge. Oh my god. With my favorite, like, 
rattling inside it. Oh my god. It's so spook it's so fucking scary. And also, like, my favorite detail is that the horses pulling the carriage are first off all in like all white. The even the um their like bridles and uh reins and such are white, but they have like Victorian horse blinkers on. And the blinkers are also all white, so it kind of looks like these fucking horses don't have eyes. Oh my and god, that's so funny. It's just such a perfect little touch of imagery to this whole fucking horrible thing. <laughs> also, I-, I may be a little biased here, but like later on when we see Jacob Marley like as a ghost, like see-through, those effects still look pretty fucking good in 2021. Am I wrong? No, they do. I just want to talk just for a moment. Mm-hmm. I hate, hate, hate the stuff with Jacob Marley's jaw. Oh, it's bad. I hate it. I hate it so much. Bad to look at. Bad to think about. Um, Here's the thing. So I grew up Catholic. I don't know yes, if you I tell that from the way that I am and the way that I act. But we both like a- we, listen. We both grew up Catholic, and yeah, that totally explains um, a lot. Yeah, uh, it explains a lot about the way that we both are as people. And like the when you're a, like a little Catholic kid and you get like threatened with hell, it's always like very vague. Mm-hmm. But like seeing Jacob Marley in this movie and in other versions of A Christmas Carol puts an existential dread in me about like like I don't know something about. Seeing Jacob Marley walking around with all these fucking chains on him and shit. And, like, he's like, I just, I have to do this now. Because I was bad when I was alive. Like, I was like, I need to fix my act. <laughs> I need to get my ass in gear. Holy shit. Yeah, like, it, it that so viscerally makes you be like, fuck. Like, is... What like, if, though? Am I gonna have to do that when I die? <laughs> I know this is very existential for a silly little podcast, but... The best horror stories make you think like that. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And they make you ponder your own life and think about, what if that was me? And, you know, seeing Jacob Marley having to walk around for all eternity with all those chains on him, it's just like, I I gotta be a better person. <laughs> <laughs> well, a hundred years later, Charles Dickens is still doing work. <laughs> That's the thing, like, Charles Dickens, like, this is how you write a morality tale. Mm-hmm. Totes, and yet- totes for goats. Like, it's just, it's so scary. And I hate it. And, like, okay, going back to seeing George C. Scott Scrooge as more human than other Scrooges, this scene also, like, obviously it's pants shittingly terrifying. And of course, um, we, we all know that. <laughs> but again, but- this whole bit with Jacob Marley fascinated me as a child. Scrooge Absolutely and fucking Marley fascinated genuinely- me. Genuinely, sorry. No, I'm I'm just saying it fucking fascinated me as a child. Well, Scrooge and Marley genuinely seem to give a shit about each other in a way that, again, you don't see in a lot of other adaptations. Like, you get the feeling that Marley spearheaded this whole, like, we need to scare Scrooge into fixing his shit. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah, the, for or, sure. Or at least that's, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, like, that's the vibe I got from that particular scene and the way that those two interact with each other is that Marley was, like, in the afterlife being like, hey, um, God or whoever's in charge, I have a bud out there who's still alive and is still acting like an asshole. Can we go scare him so he doesn't end up like me? Can we do something about this shit? Like... <laughs> And, like, Scrooge, once he... Because, like, at the beginning of the scene, when he sort of is still thinking that he's hallucinating, he's kind of, like, cracking jokes the way that he normally does. Like, you know, you have the famous bit where he says, you know, you're probably uh, a hallucination caused by indigestion. And then he says, there's there's more of gravy than grave in you, which I, I love that line. It's very um, good. That's one of my favorite lines in the book. And I love that they kept it in this adaptation because it's very funny. Um, but... Once he accepts that Marley is actually the ghost of Jacob Marley and is actually coming, you see, like, genuine care and concern in his eyes. He's like, dude, do you really have to just do this all the time? This is your punishment? That sucks. Like, he really cares for him, and that's that's really sad. Yeah, it's really interesting, like you were saying, to see, like, a Scrooge with 
a capacity for empathy. It's like you said, like, he's not just an asshole. He is someone who has the capacity for redemption and for empathizing with other human beings. It's just fucking shut off because money. Because <laughs> number one, money. And number two, like, he's just been through so much shit that he's just decided, like, no, the world sucks and I don't need to care about anyone. And that seems like an actual conclusion that he would draw given his circumstances but you again you can still see those glimmers of the man that he once was and when you see him as a young man interacting with the people around him and laughing and having fun and smiling you're like oh this was a person who could have been a really great and generous man exactly and then life fucking beat him into the ground and he was like actually no i'm deciding that i'm going to turn everything off and not care about anybody but he can't because no one can turn their emotions off and as much as he tries there's still that old self that is always trying to burst out of him and he just needed to be scared enough into like he he needed to be shown like the consequences of his own actions to understand that like no i can't continue to act like this when will you learn when will you learn your actions of consequences no yeah even like you know jacob he and jacob marley are kind of implied to have been like business partners so you can imagine that relationship to a lot of people in other adaptations is just very strictly like business partners that's it but you really get the sense that they were, I mean, as much as Scrooge could have been friends with somebody in his current state, like, friends, you know? Yeah. And it's very um, good. Let's, let's chat about the depictions of the ghosts, because... Okay, can I, I, I need to come out the gate right now and say, um, when I was a baby, I had the weirdest gay crush on the Ghost of Christmas Past. <laughs> This is an unexpected turn, but I kind of love that for baby you. <laughs> Listen, this woman doesn't know if she's a MILF or not, but, like, she's just enough of a MILF for me to have been like, okay, I'm here. The Ghost of Christmas Past is kind of a non-binary icon. No, you're so right. Because, like, every single adaptation that I've seen, the Ghost of Christmas Past is a different gender. Like, usually a woman plays the Ghost of Christmas Past just because, like... I don't know, I guess they want to kind of throw a woman into the mix because there aren't a lot of women in this story to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually in a production of A Christmas Carol where our ghost of Christmas present was a woman. That's fucking cool. It was great. It was actually, uh, I've, I've mentioned my old voice teacher on this podcast before, the one who has a friend who has beef with the Warrens. It was her. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. By the way, Jemmy, just quick sidebar. Have you ever seen the um, the Kelsey Grammer version of A Christmas Carol? I have not. Uh, because Jane Krakowski plays the Ghost of Christmas Past, and she does do a pole dance. Oh, I love that. So, just, I, it's probably on YouTube. You can look that up when we're yeah, done. Yeah, I'm gonna, like, uh, I'm putting that one on my, my watch list. Jane Krakowski, one of the hottest women alive, period. Like, MILF supreme Jane Krakowski. Um, she literally does a pole dance on, That's going on, my on, list. on Ebenezer Scrooge's bedposts. God, I wish that were me. That movie is insane. I I kind of love it. It's also a musical. How have I never seen this? It's 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 weird. But that's a different movie. Yes. And this movie has the ghost of Christmas past, who is a MILF. Mm -hmm. The ghost of Christmas present, who is Edward fucking Woodward. Yes! <laughs> And the ghost of Christmas future, who is terrifying. Yes. Let's spend some time talking about the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> I would love to. I have I have quite a few notes on the ghost of Christmas present, so please. Uh, so I'm so I'm um I'm oh. a fan of I'm I'm a fan of the Wicker Man. Yes, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Of course. I've never thought that Edward Woodward was like hot. Oh. Then I watched this movie <laughs> last year. <laughs> and he was just in like bear mode yeah he is very bear mode in this movie and i was like is is edward wood was 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 he hot like oh it's God. so fucked up i was like no i can't that's sergeant howie he is kind of your type in this movie i'm not gonna he lie is! that's the worst thing and like if you've only seen him in the wicker man you're probably being like taylor what the fuck are you talking about but like watch this movie and you will understand he is hot 
Yeah, Edward Woodward is way too hot in this role, and it's incredibly upsetting to me because he's like a weird, like, waifish, uptight police officer in mm-hmm. The Wicker Man, and I was like, that's not sexy. And then he was in this movie, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I have to say, like, I did not know, like, I obviously have seen The Wicker Man. Obviously, I've seen The Wicker Man. But uh, it was only when yesterday I was browsing the letterboxed reviews for this movie that I was like, wait a fucking minute! That's Sergeant Howie?! <laughs> Like he's they're comp- he's playing he's like a completely different person in this movie. He it's looks insane. completely different. One of my favorite things about the whole Christmas present sequence is that it starts out like so bright and jovial. Like Christmas present shows up in Scrooge's house, like surrounded by Christmas decorations and this huge feast, and it's you know brightly lit. And you know we see the Cratchits and we see Fred's party, and it's all these people having a great time on Christmas. And then all of a sudden. Hey, guess what, Scrooge? Life fucking sucks for people who don't have money. Yeah, that scene is so sad. <laughs> it's and so- like, I kind of understand. I, I forget if it's in the book or not, but if it is in the book, I understand why most adaptations cut it because it can feel a little superfluous, but it does just add so much to this movie. It's such a gut punch. Like, after you've seen these two scenes of, like, just people having a great time on Christmas, it's like, hey, fuck you. This is what you're doing. Guess what? These are the people that your selfishness affects the most. Exactly. Are these, like, poor people who have not, like, like, they don't have a damn thing to eat. They're working, the parents are working their asses off. And they're, like, they're all one foot in the grave, all of them. Mm-hmm. They are all one really bad cold away from just dropping dead. And it's freezing cold on Christmas and it sucks and they're not having fun. And like, look, like this is partially your fault. <laughs> you did this, man. It is a real gut punch. And then, of course, you get the other thing that a lot of adaptations cut out, but I think is essential. Mm-hmm. The two creepy little children. Yep. Ignorance and want. Which I, I think. The the Zemeckis movie was so heavy handed with them that it was kind of bad. But yeah, the Zemeckis movie had, if I remember correctly, that whole thing mm-hmm. where like you see them then grow up to be like a thief and a prostitute. Yeah, it was a it was very heavy handed, but the move this movie does it right. <laughs> yeah, this movie does it the correct way again. And then the the Zemeckis movie also has that thing where the Ghost of Christmas Present like turns into a skeleton or something oh my god yeah that's right like again (laughs) like the zemeckis movie it's just too much Mm, it's too much subtlety subtlety please i do also like about christmas present is that outwardly he is like the most boisterous and like full of life of the spirits but he's he like fucking let scrooge have it like he he is scrooge in a way that the other two don't like, he is fuck. Like, there are some points where they're together and he is just straight up fucking cruel. Like, it is, and, you know, necessarily cruel because that's what Scrooge needs is for someone to just, like, take him by the shoulders and be like, hey, asshole, look what you're doing. But holy shit, it's such a good, like, cognitive dissonance, I think is- it's dissonance is the word I'm looking for. Let me try that again. It's such a good sense of dissonance between his demeanor and what is either being said or how he is treating Scrooge. I love the part where he gets just like up in Scrooge's face where he just comes in from the side of the frame. <laughs> yes. And is that when he's saying like, it's all an inch away from Scrooge's face and it's just, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. You can just see like the barely concealed hatred in his eyes. And he's having such a good time just letting Scrooge fucking have it. He, like, he loves to bully Scrooge. It's great. I also love the parts where he quotes Scrooge's own words back at him when Scrooge is at his most despairing. Like, particularly when we see Bob Cratchit's house and we, you know, Scrooge is actually really, really moved by seeing Tiny Tim. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, is this kid gonna live? And the ghost of Christmas present just looks at him and says, well, if he's going to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population, which is a thing that Scrooge said earlier on to the, to the charity collectors and in the, the rich people's whatever. 
And I just, oh God, I love that part because it hits so hard. Swoops in right when Scrooge is having a genuine feeling and just gets his ass so mercilessly. He's like, you know what? You said that earlier and you didn't understand the impact of what you just said. Like, yeah, you can say like, oh, there's too many people and we can't feed them all. But like when you look at a family in which there is a son who like, number one, they're struggling to feed. Number two, this kid is very sick and is probably not going to live to adulthood. Like, it's not so easy to dismissively say like, well, if people are going to die, they're going to die. Exactly. It's exactly. just, oh God, I know I, I just, I, I'm talking, 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 but this is so, it, this movie is so- Taylor, cool. how fucking dare you talk on our podcast and be oh, a, a medium known for people talking. This movie is so good. It's so good. I also love the game of similes. Yes. It, it's yes. so funny. Can I, can I um, interject with a small anecdote? Please. So I was, in fact, in my community theater days- in a production of A Christmas Carol, uh, set in modern times, unfortunately, which kind of sucks because I would have fucking loved to like get up to some Victorian shit. Uh-oh. Uh, but I was in this uh, in this scene. I was one of the party goers or one of the people like because it wasn't like a big party in ours because we didn't have that many actors. <laughs> um, and what was it was your so sibling? it was just like, um. Do you remember what yours was? I'm trying to remember. It was a while ago. It was like a good, like maybe 2017, 2018, 2016 even. Um, yeah, I don't remember shit. Oh, damn. I wish I did. I I, I remember, remember my characters posted on the Twitter, but. I will. I remember my character's name was Jillian, I believe. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I love the game of similes. Um, and I love, oh, I love Fred so much. <laughs> He's so, like, the, the actor they chose to play Fred in this movie is so charming. He is. He's so charming and he's so sweet. But, like, when he, like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. But it's this thing of, like, I feel like everyone has a relative that's sort of like Scrooge. Where you're kind of like, I know that he sucks and I know that he's just going to keep saying no when we ask him to come hang out with us on holidays. But like, I just, Fred is just like, I just feel like I need to keep doing it because he loved my mom so much. And I know that he loved my mom so much and he was devastated when she died. Um, And so every year Fred just keeps inviting him to Christmas dinner and... That kind of dedication is just, like, very sweet. Even though you can tell, also, that Fred is, like, annoyed with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, very earnest. He, yeah, That's the he's word. very earnest, but he's not earnest in a way where you're, like, you're an idiot for still right, exactly. reaching like, out to you this You understand. Guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very, again, like, I know I keep saying, like, other versions of A Christmas Carol do this, but, like, I feel like I mean, there are- I think if you're t- I think if you're discussing a Christmas Carol, it's very difficult to not pull from other adaptations because there's just been so many, and it's such it's a story that like so many people know, which is kind of why we didn't do a summary at the beginning. Yeah, we didn't think- need because you guys all know this. You you guys know this. Yeah. Um, but other versions of a Christmas Carol have this problem sometimes where they play Fred as too earnest to the point where it's almost naive, where you're like, right. dude. He's not gonna fucking come to Christmas dinner. Like, just stop reaching out to this guy. But, like, you understand where Fred is coming from in this version. He he has this thing of, like, I know he's an asshole, but I just, I feel like I just need to keep doing it. I know he's gonna say no, but it's just, it doesn't hurt to ask every year. Like, you, right. like, you get why he keeps reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. And right. again, that's what makes it so satisfying when at the end Scrooge comes around and accepts his invitation. Right, I think it's very indicative of this particular adaptation that it is never played too much. Nothing is ever played too much. It's the exact perfect amount for it to be like a very human and a very understandable story. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's what elevates it over other versions is that nobody in this story is a stereotype of their character. Right, and like I understand why these characters have become stereotypes again because this story is so well known everyone 
I think in, you know, I, I don't want to generalize and say everyone, but a, a good portion of the population has definitely like seen or heard or been told a version of a Christmas Carol. And it's easy when you're adapting it, I think, to just, you know, fall into what other adaptations have done and to sort of flanderize the traits that the characters have. But this adaptation in particular seems to kind of want to not do that. This movie takes great pains to not have the characters be stereotypes of themselves. Mm-hmm. And have them be well-rounded human beings with motivations and lives and, like, reasons for doing what they do and complex feelings about the situations that they're in. And I think that's what elevates this over other versions for me, um, is because I feel like at their core, a lot of other versions are just like, like, everyone knows this story, so okay, so... He's an asshole to Bob Cratchit, and then he goes home, and then Jacob Marley, and then the three ghosts, and then every day, and then the next day, he's happy, and he gives Jacob Marley a he gives uh, Bob Cratchit a raise, and it's just it's easy to fall into that like we're just doing Christmas Carol by the numbers, right? Exactly, and it's oh this movie it it doesn't it just it does its it doesn't own thing so perfectly. Um, while we still have time, movie good. Shall we discuss the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The scariest motherfucking thing in every adaptation. Every adaptation knows. Even if it's, like, not a particularly, like, horror-based adaptation or, like... Like, even Mickey Christmas Carol knew that this motherfucker needed to be terrifying. One of my earliest elementary school memories is watching the Mickey Christmas Carol and seeing the scene where Scrooge falls into the grave... And, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it for, like, <laughs> for like a long time. Like, that lived rent-free in my mind. Again, little baby Catholics. <laughs> yeah, like, again, like, this is why I am the way I am. I think more adaptations should feature Scrooge falling into his own grave into, like, a pit of fire with the implication that if you continue on this path, you will go to hell. It's fucking metal, and you wouldn't believe that it's in the Mickey Christmas Carol. Yeah, that's, like, the wildest thing, is that, like, I think the Mickey Christmas Carol is the only adaptation that outright tells Scrooge that he will go to hell. It's fucking metal. Isn't that um, so fucked up? Like, <laughs> It's so fucked up. Like, the Even other the versions, same- the thing that Scrooge is told is that, like, yeah, you're gonna die alone, and no one's gonna give a shit about you, and no one's gonna go to your funeral, and the only people who care about you are going to be the people who steal your stuff to pawn off. And that's sad, but Mickey Christmas Carol just goes the extra mile and is like, and also you're going to burn in hell. (laughs) Why did they do that? Okay, but we're not talking about the Mickey Christmas Carol. One of my favorite things about the ghost of Christmas yet to come in this particular adaptation is that, like most adaptations, uh, the ghost is silent doesn't have dialogue but like the sound design kind of acts as its voice i love the like i don't know what to even call that noise that the like it speaks with but it's like Mm -hmm. a it's like a creaking door but it's also kind of a scream but it's also kind of the wind and it's also kind of like an eerie children's choir yeah it's just like it's just like a I can't even make the noise because it's mm. not it's just look up a clip. If if you don't watch this movie, like whatever, at least look up a clip to understand what we're talking about here because it is the most unsettling noise. It is so fucking scary. Like even just the way this motherfucker shows up in the movie, like we're at a point where Scrooge is like he's been left alone, like in this uh, kind of limbo-esque place by the ghost of christmas present i'm sorry that's another thing that cracks me up is that the ghost of christmas present is just like fuck it bye Bye. (laughs) he just Uh, hates him i just love that the ghost of christmas present hates his ass so much okay anyway the ghost of christmas future why do i feel like the ghost of christmas present got back to like the council of ghosts or angels or whatever and the other guys were like you were supposed to take him to the ghost of christmas future and he and the ghost of christmas present was just like I, I just kind of left him there. He was pissing me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they were like, well, okay, I guess we're just sending this guy in now. <laughs> <laughs> I know he got in trouble with Ghost HR for that one. 
<laughs> well, he did. You know he did. <laughs> but as Scrooge is sort of like wandering around this limbo and calling out for the Ghost of Christmas present to take him back to his bedroom as the Ghost of Christmas passed in, like, the light comes up and over his shoulder, kind of out of focus, you just see this like hooded figure oh, it's in the so fog good. with that noise that it speaks with. And it's the scariest thing in any Christmas movie ever. <laughs> I love shit. that. I just love that in place of dialogue, they so cleverly use this noise to have it communicate with Scrooge. It's so clever. And oh my God, it's so fucking brilliant. And it's so creepy. It's that so scary. Like, that noise is like nails on a fucking chalkboard. It sets your skin like, oh my God. Like you feel like creepy crawlies on your skin. It's so creepy i hate it mm -hmm. but i love it can i just say another one of my favorite things in this whole sequence is so like from the very beginning like from the first scene that we see scrooge in we are establishing what the sound of his watch chiming sounds like mm. like it's used first off to just like denote oh it's time for scrooge to go to the stock exchange and be a rich asshole um and it's also used later on like throughout the film as sort of a denoter of like, oh, one o'clock, time for the ghost of Christmas past, two o'clock, time for the ghost of Christmas future. But then later on, as we see the people who have stolen Scrooge's shit and are now pawning it off, like a hint to the, the fact that this is Scrooge's stuff is that they take the watch out and it makes the noise and Scrooge goes, oh shit, that's mine. Also, can I just say, I know it's... it's so I so good! I'm it's sorry, so, it's just so good! Okay, continue. It's such a good, subtle little thing. But another thing that I really like about this sequence is that I think it's very easy with depictions of what the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come does uh, to fall into the trap of, like, Scrooge being kind of stupid and, like, oh, like, who, who could this possibly be talking about? Oh my god, I don't know. But in this adaptation i think you get a very strong sense of just like denial from scrooge yeah definitely like you like can he totally doesn't see scrooge like talking himself out of it because i feel like he realizes that the ghost is showing him the aftermath of his own death very early on in the sequence but he's oh, for continually sure. talking himself out of that realization because he's like no this has to be somebody else there is no way that this is the aftermath of my death exactly and I think it's especially potent in the scene where the ghost brings him to where his own fucking body is lying. Oh my god. And it's like, he goes to pull the sheet off and then is like, no, I don't want to do it. He's like, no, no, I won't do it. Like, you can tell because if he pulls that sheet off and sees his own body, then it's real and he can't keep denying what he's being shown. But he just like adamantly refuses to do it. And it's only when later on oh, brilliant this movie is so oh good. it's so good it's so good can i also say in this sequence one of my favorite things and i know i've said that a lot about these things in this scene but another one of my favorite things i have a lot um is when we go back to the cratchit house the shift in lighting from when we see like bright happy christmas day with the cratchit family to the first christmas that they have after tiny tim dies it looks like a different place it's so upsetting. It looks like a completely different place. And it's, oh god, most adaptations do not go into this level of detail with the grief that the Cratchits have over their son's death. Like, most adaptations just sort of have, I don't know, maybe you see Tiny Tim's grave, or you maybe see the family mourning Tiny Tim from a distance. Mm -hmm. Or something. Or even... Maybe you just get told by the ghost of Christmas present that Tiny Tim will die and that's it. But this you, adaptation gets into the shit. This adaptation just is like, no, you're going to watch this family grieve their small, sick son after he dies and having to like deal with the first Christmas after this kid is dead. And oh, God, it's so hard to watch. David Warner's performance in this scene is heartbreaking oh my god when he's like so at the very end when he's like telling his family that he's so lucky and you can see that he's like hiding his face in his little girl's hair so that they won't see him crying it's uh, it's, it's so, so fucked up and it's so good and so powerful 
Oh my god. It just oh, this whole sequence is so upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Grief on film is often very hard to um portray in a manner that is emotionally affecting for the audience because there's always that voice in the back of your head that's like, yeah, well, these people aren't real. Um, so when a movie is able to effectively communicate grief. It's so deeply powerful because it makes you forget that you are watching actors reciting lines and you Cut. feel like you're looking into you're lo you feel like you're looking through the window of the Cratchit house and you're watching these people mm -hmm. try to move on and live their lives with the knowledge that their little boy is dead. And it's so hard. It's hard to watch. It really is. Did you know that Scrooge's grave is still in that cemetery in Shrewsbury? Shut up. Are you yeah, kidding? You can visit it. <laughs> oh my god. Well, okay. Well, that just got added to my bucket list. Yeah. Th by the way, they also filmed this movie on location in this small historical English village, uh, Shrewsbury. You can tell. Because everything looks pretty fucking authentic. It looks phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I think they have that gravestone on display uh, in that cemetery. Yeah, that's on my bucket list. So you can Sorry. go and, like, see it, uh, which is really cool. And I, I want to go visit that grave. Listeners, <laughs> donate to our Patreon to fund our uh, trip to Shrewsbury. Yeah. I <laughs> we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> when we get a Patreon, that's where your money will be going. <laughs> so that we can go visit the grave of Ebenezer Scrooge, as played by mm -hmm. George C. Scott. Yes. I want to, like, go to that grave and pose, like, that one picture of the guy from The Flash. Oh my god! You know that one picture? Where yeah, he's I like, do. He's, like, like, doing, like, peace signs in front <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. one grave. Oh my god. I'm yeah, that's our Shrewsbury just to take that picture. That's our goal now. Yep. To have us taking that picture. Yep. Yeah, I just thought that was a really fun fact that, like, you can actually still visit Ebenezer Scrooge's grave. I don't know if it's, like, installed in the graveyard or if it's, like, on display somewhere, but they do still have the gravestone. That's really good. I love that. It's awesome. And like, I also saw a lot of people on Letterboxd saying like, I grew up in this town. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's God. Like an actual small town. <laughs> so it's like a lot of people being like, I grew up here and watching this movie is very weird because like, it's just me pointing at buildings and being like, hey, uh, like I went to school there. Oh, that's where my friend lived. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> it's really funny. I feel like I might have the same experience with Hocus Pocus 2 whenever it comes out, because I know they're filming in, like, Woonsocket, where I, like, I I am from Rhode Island, and again, Rhode Island is one of, it's just a whole state of those creepy small towns where everyone knows each other. Yep. Uh, so I have a feeling I'm going to have that moment at least once in Hocus Pocus 2. I'm so excited for Hocus Pocus 2. Just quick sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a behind-the-scenes clip of Bette Midler singing, and I was like, we're I know you, back, you sent baby. it to me. We're you sent it to me. And her, like, she's out there doing those stunts. Like, That's damn. 70. She's, it's like her and fucking Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man who, like, would not come back unless they let him do the stunts. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> back to the movie. But I just, yeah, I wanted to mm -hmm. talk about how excited I am for Hocus Pocus 2 for a second. Yeah. We haven't, ever, we haven't had enough chaotic content on this episode. We're too busy yeah, talking been... about the actual movie, which... Is rare. Yeah. This is like the first, I think the first episode since The Innocence that we actually had like a lot of smart people things to say. Which is good because this movie deserves it, I think. Mm. For sure. I love A Christmas Carol. Um, It's one of my favorite books of all time just because it is so deeply relevant um, still to this day, which is sad. <laughs> Yeah, I love how we... That, uh, it's sad that we are looking at books that were literally written in the 1800s and being like, wow, some people today need to learn this. But, like, some people today need to learn this. Yeah, I mean, I think my review on Letterboxd, like, last year was like, it's amazing how we can tell this story so many times over and over and never quite get the point. Yep. Um... Anyway, um, if anyone wants to join me, I will be conducting a satanic ritual to summon three spirits to terrorize Jeff Bezos uh, this Christmas Eve. I could can use I, the can help. I please be the ghost of Christmas past because I want to do a strip tease on Jeff Bezos's bed poles. Oh, you absolutely can, Taylor. I want to do a Jane Krakowski pole dance. 
you you're hired. Yay! We're holding auditions. Yeah, we're holding auditions. Uh, <laughs> present and whoever wants to just play the fucking Grim Reaper. Yeah, we'll just like we'll we'll just have our iPhones ready to like play that noise. We better like start digging a grave and like filling it with pyrotechnics for Jeff, <laughs> so that we can push him in. Yeah, <laughs> Grim McDuck style. Yeah, man. The richest man in the cemetery. I watched that one right after I watched the George C. Scott one last night. I know. I saw it on your letterboxd. Watching those back to back is a lot of fun. <laughs> I can imagine. I actually haven't I seen that since I was a baby. The, the, the ghost of Christmas future goes, why it's yours, Ebenezer. The <laughs> richest man in the cemetery. I, Isn't like, it Pete? Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's so good. I also learned recently that that version is based on like an album that came out like five years previous. Um, and they basically just made that storybook album into like a short film. Oh my um, God. But in that one, the ghost of Christmas future was played by the witch from Snow White. Oh my God. <laughs> Which would have been so much scarier. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I can see why they didn't do it. Yeah. I feel like they did a couple storyboards of that and they were like, Actually, this is scary enough. Like, yeah, this is gonna traumatize kids. Actually, <laughs> we don't need the extra level of tra- of, of trauma. Um, oh god, that's really funny to think about, though. That happened in the um in the Beastly Kingdom universe, I think. Oh, you're right. Uh, yeah. So I do a segment on this podcast called Live Laugh Letterboxd, where I read funny Letterboxd reviews. And our first review um is from my spiritual soulmate, my kindred spirit, my friend. Um, not actually my friend. I don't know this person. Um, their name is Maddie. Mm-hmm. And they say, Edward Woodward as the hot ghost of Christmas present with five exclamation points. <laughs> Immediately followed by a review from the next December, I checked. Um, that says, wait, oh no, the previous December. That uh-huh. says, wait, the hot Christmas ghost of Christmas present is Sergeant Howie from the Wicker Man? Come in and know <laughs> me better, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's you. And that was immediately followed with an emoji with the tongue sticking out. Oh my god. Yeah, this is you, Taylor. <laughs> Letterboxd user Maddie, you are my kindred spirit. Um, <laughs> And this is another re- review from this same person, but they this, this just made me laugh a lot. They gave it five stars again, and they said, Tiny Tim looks like shit. Okay, I literally have a note that was like, they really cast, like, the most pathetic-looking, like, sickly child they could possibly find. (laughs) Tiny Tim looks so awful. This kid looks like he's at Dead Store. I hope he's okay. (laughs) I mean, we see him at the end and he's fine, so... No, I'm talking about the actor, presently. Oh, I know. I know. We see, like... But we see, like, him without his, like, sickly makeup and he looks fine, so... I hope that kid's okay. Tommy says, had me wandering around the house, emotional, pondering, four and a half stars. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of movie that really does make you just, like, get up and walk around your house in a daze <laughs> for a little while, so I do get it. That is kind of what I do every year after I watch it, honestly, yep. so. Kendra says, it's just the best. Finley's portrayal of Jacob Marley is incredible, and that daddy of Christmas present. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should have known that every single letterbox you picked would have something to do with being horny for the ghost of Christmas present. That's the last one about being horny for Edward Woodward is the ghost of Christmas present, but he is very hot and I had to include it. See, like, again, my feelings toward this movie are so chaste that I didn't even realize that you were going to find this dude hot until, like, a little while before we recorded. And I was like, oh, wait, fuck. He yep. is Taylor's type. <laughs> Nielsen says, what an awful century for men's hair. Four stars. The wigs in this movie, like, okay, when I say the wigs in this movie looked terrible, I don't mean they were bad wigs because they were good wigs, but they looked like shit just because men's hair in the 1800s looked like shit. Exactly. It was historical accuracy. (laughs) Yep. Um, It's kind of like that movie Witchfinder General with Vincent Price where he just looks like Lord Farquaad. (laughs) Oh my god. They just put him in this like little this this little gray bob. A little a little lad type beat. No, he literally does look like the little lad. It's so <laughs> fucked up. How many times have we mentioned the little lad on this goddamn podcast? Too many times. At this point, Too many just times. Need to put that guy on as a guest. What movie do you think he'd talk about? 
Uh, Chug says, lacking Muppets, three and a half stars. You're wrong, but... You're wrong, but it's fine. I respect all opinions, even ones that are wrong. (laughs) Jeremy says, George C. Scott is the best eyebrow actor that there is. Four stars. Absolutely true. (laughs) (laughs) This next review, I don't know what they meant by this, because there are several possible interpretations of what this review could have meant. I'm fascinated already. I'm going to let all of you come to your own conclusions. Caitlin Hooker says, White man always creeps me out. Two stars. Now, I don't know if Caitlin Hooker meant white men always creep me out. Right. Because there are a lot of white men men in this movie. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a very white movie. Or if she was talking about Jacob Marley with his, like, bluish white face makeup. Right, yeah, he definitely has, like, a haunted mansion ghost kind of thing going on. White, like, Jacob Marley could be white man. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking, too. Both huh. interpretations are very funny. Open open to interpretation, we like this. It, it allows uh, for expression. If you're listening, Caitlin Hooker, I would love for you to reach out and ex- explain if you meant one specific white man or white men in general. Because both are valid. Both are valid. Uh, Hannah says, it's not Christmas until I hear David Warner screaming the lyrics of Here We Come A-Wassling. So fucking true, bestie. Yeah. So fucking true. Listen, to me, it's not Christmas until I hear that song that plays over the end credits of this movie. So. And finally, Stephen Hood says, fellas, we need to start dressing like the ghost of Christmas present. I concur, Stephen. <laughs> Man, is this an, is this another one where we, we're going to talk about like how men's body hair should be more of a thing? Yes, because it should. Men, what is stopping you from looking <laughs> like this? Have you I ever no considered that? Wait, what's that fucking meme that's like this is this is like you may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. Yes. We used, we used to be a country. To Edward Woodward is the ghost of Christmas present. We used to be a country. A proper country. We used to be a country! A proper country! <laughs> you just gave me an idea for a banger tweet. Oh, hell yeah. I'm just gonna tweet pictures of hairy chests with the caption, We used to be a country. A proper country. Love this for you. I just really think men need to start looking like this again. And if you don't look like this, why aren't you? Men, what is stopping you? What's stopping you? Um, I'm depraved. You are. That's why I love you. (laughs) You could have said, no, Taylor, I love you just the way you are. Taylor, I do love you just the way you are. And just the way you are is fucking depraved. (laughs) (laughs) He is hot, though. (laughs) He is hot, though. I have no dog in this race. I can't I can't validate you. I'm sorry. I just think also that that would be like a really funny like um like a BDSM scenario for like an older man who's a sub where you're Scrooge and <laughs> you get like three doms to like take turns berating you. Festive D- festive BDSM. What else would you come to this podcast for? I'm sure someone out there has done it, but like, if you're like an older guy who's like into being verbally humiliated, I think that you should propose this to like your local dungeon. Just a thought. <laughs> hey, remember when I said that this was like we were doing serious film analysis and we weren't doing a lot of like weird shit? Yeah, we, we just saved it all for the end. <laughs> I'm really glad that we fixed that. <laughs> Letter, uh, star ratings, star ratings. I think this is kind of a Conjuring 2, almost a Conjuring 2 scenario, where if I give this movie anything less than five stars, someone should be concerned. Yeah. I, I it feels, it feels, oops, sorry. It feels viscerally wrong for me to give this movie anything but five stars, just because it is, and uh, yes, I am looking through my nostalgia goggles, I don't fucking care, they're permanently uh, soldered to my face, and I don't care. Okay. Five stars. But, like, I just saw this movie for the first time a year ago, and I'm also saying it's five stars. So it's not just nostalgia goggles. This is a great movie. This is... And I will say this just so we don't have Muppets people leaping down our throats. One of the best adaptations of A Christmas Carol ever put to film. It is the best one. And if you are ready to um, fight me about it, I invite you to. 
that'll be your job on the Twitter, Taylor. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I will gladly defend our honor against the Muppet fans. Listen, Muppets are great, but, like, this is the Christmas Carol. Okay, well, uh, for the holidays, we will be taking something of a sabbatical for a couple of weeks just to sort of get our shit together for the new year. Um, You're going to be so, back better than ever in January, though. Yes, we are. We will be back January 19th with a little something different from the uh, holiday spirit we've been perpetuating. Yeah, we're leaving we you be- off with, like, the spirit of the season and then immediately jumping in with, like, weird Texas shit Chainsaw again. Massacre. <laughs> yes. We will be jumping right back in with Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the 19th. Um, Until then... Whatever you celebrate, have a good one. Even if you don't celebrate anything, have a, a nice December 25th. Exactly. <laughs> or- if, if you celebrate something, I hope you had or will have a good one of those. And if you don't celebrate anything, have, you know, I hope that's, I hope that the snow is nice where you live and you get to look at pretty snow. Have a, a good New Year because we won't be seeing you until afterwards. We're not doing New Year's evil. Yeah, no, unfortunately. Not this year anyway. <laughs> Maybe another time. Because there's only, like, one New Year's horror movie, and we can't, again, like, I've said this before, but, like, we can't blow our load right away. The New Year's horror is having to do another year again. Yeah. (laughs) The New Year's horror is having to deal with whatever the universe throws at us. But in the meantime, we will be there, and uh, we'll be back uh, in January with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep, and if you don't want to miss when we drop that, you can follow our Twitter at FGFpod, Instagram at the same handle, Again, one of these days, Taylor will make a TikTok. <laughs> this is my mission for our break, is that I'll make a TikTok. And uh, if if we come back with the Texas Chainsaw app and I haven't done one yet, you have permission to yell at me. I will yell at you. Good. And we would super appreciate it if you would give us those five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, do whatever it is you do on your podcast platform of choice to say that you liked us. Because we like you, listener. Yes, we like that you're here. And you do, I, that you join us for our silly little discussion every couple of weeks. And if you agree with me that the Ghost of Christmas Present is hot stuff, you can add us and commiserate with us. Um, and if you go to sleep on Christmas Eve and you're a rich asshole, maybe consider, like, an exorcism or something. Yeah. Put some salt around your bed or something like that. Otherwise, you might have hot Edward Woodard in your house. Which, I mean, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, but, like, he's not going to be nice to you, so. Which, you know, depending on what you're into, yeah. may also be not so good, not such a bad thing. As we previously discussed, that is some people's thing, but. <laughs> All right. And until, have, have a good holiday season, guys. And we will see you next month for Texas Chainsaw. Bye. Bye.